Welcome back to the Historical Miniature Wargamers podcast. Um, I'm Jacob, we have Gorchen and Dan with me today, and uh, we're going to be talking about the first post-COVID event that uh, we've been playing for Bolt Action, this game, best game out there. Um, and uh, we played that just under a fortnight ago, um, and I think we're uh, losing Dan, but we'll get him back in a minute. Um, so that was a uh, three-round event. Um, I think there was roughly 24 players that attended, um, which is fairly good for the Perth scene. Um, and it was really good to see people back uh, doing the hobby here in Perth. Um, as you may have heard on some of our episodes before, COVID's not really a uh, massive thing here in WA. Um, we're fairly safe. We have no infections pretty much um and yeah we've been happily gaming for probably over a month um now i think we've lost them but we'll get him back in a minute that's no big deal uh but yeah uh we've just come fresh off this event um and we're here to talk about probably one of the only physical tournaments happening out there um and what we thought so um yeah, I can see Dan's joining us, so we'll just wait for his video to return. But um, I have with me one of the winners of the tournament, right? Gorchen, you came first for Allies, is that right? Yeah, uh, so I was really uh, impressed with that result, and it actually came as a bit of a surprise to me. Um, so, yeah, to sort of come off the, the back of... I just said sort of the first real event after COVID. That was my first proper competitive bolt action event. Sort of come away with an allied win. I was really happy about that. Um, and it, I think it's that's a testament to the people that I'm playing with uh, mm. and letting me ask questions and, and really just trying to spend a lot of time thinking about it uh, post-game as well. But uh, that's also... Not to say that I wasn't lucky on the day. I was. I had a lot of luck on the day as well. A fair few things went my way, um, but you know that's the nature of bolt action. So, it's really happy with that result. Uh, I don't know if I will be able to follow it up on the next event, but I guess we'll see. <laughs> well, um, one one all, I guess, because this is your first event that you you played at. Um, you topped it for allies, which was really good. Um, I think. Uh, in comparison to some of the other events that we've played, it's typically um, the allies score quite highly. Um, and this seemed a little bit on the other side where the Axis um, seemed to do quite well um, across the event. Um, I'm sort of in the middle of the pack, which is a huge improvement for me. Normally I'm at the bottom, but um, I had a blast. It was new, new players, old players, Good to see lots of people that we hadn't seen before in a while. Um, all of us had been practicing in one way or another, with, whether that was just thinking about the game, playing tabletop sim, or um, doing stuff at the club in preparation. So it was really good to see that all the effort you put in paid off. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I had some great opponents, and, and it was it was a fantastic day. Um, Dan is the TO of the event, and I'm not sure if we've got him. It kind of looks like we've got a still-ish image. Hey, Dan, are you there? Maybe not. <laughs> That's okay. 
Um, yes, I can see you oh. guys and hear you guys. So Fantastic. it's whether you can uh, hear me. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just a little delayed, but we'll we'll make do. Okay. Um, yeah. So it was quite a busy day um, for for me as a TO, and largely, yeah, like you said, we had twenty four players. Um, we had a very good split of the rounds and the scores, uh, but there were I think more draws in this event than I've ever had in any of the events before. Um, which made matchmaking uh, challenging because uh, everyone's scores were relatively close as well. Um, and a large part of that was because of the bonus objectives that were in play for Skulls. Mm. Yeah, um, that is probably the key difference of this event compared to most things that we've played. Um, typically, we might do a rulebook mission or two here in Perth, and then Dan will create a scenario or um, a modified one from another event. Um, but yeah, uh, the three missions we had, we had meeting engagement, I think key positions, um, and there was another, the two basic one, demolition. Demolition was the last one. Yeah, that's the one. Um, so, you know, looking at that, that's a, that's a, a little bit vanilla for us, but the um, six side uh, objectives were really the key because each of them, scored you a VP um, and then, you know, necessarily winning or losing the um, actual game match um, wasn't the most important thing to um, get you high in, in, in score. Although um, I think Gotchen won some of his matches anyway and did well on the VPs too. And that's where... Yeah, you... I think... Uh... Dan could probably speak to that a lot better because I think the the victories um, were dictated standing and then the, the additional bonus objectives were to stratify within the standings. Um, but yeah, Dan, it was something you could sort of talk to us about your brainchild there and how you came up with the bonus objectives and why and what you were hoping to achieve. Yeah. Um, I think I think we're gonna have to uh, cut you there, Dan. Uh, we actually can't hear you. Credit so, for this one actually goes to Justin. Um, I guess he okay. put those. It was it's an idea. I'll just make sure I'm not on mute. Oh no, it's not the the fact you're on mute. Um, it's it's really an internet connection thing. I would just recommend turning off the video altogether because because really the audio is the most important thing here. Um. Okay, so we heard the words that it was sort of Justin's idea to introduce um, some of these side objectives, but um, where we need to hear more what else you had intended to say post that. Yeah, yeah, so, um, and, and largely it's come out of the ideas that we've been trying to do over the last couple of events of uh, creating, I guess, uh, side missions or other ways, other avenues to get victory points so that if you get snookered uh, on an objective, um, there's still something that you can aim for. Uh, some of that has come from watching uh, 40K events or other uh, tabletop wargaming events which have secondary objectives, uh, tertiary objectives and, and things like that. Um, and so we wanted to bring a little bit more of that because at the end of the day, there's no point having people come to an event 
where you simply just play the same sort of game that you could play in your garage. Um, we'd much rather have everybody come and play something that is familiar, but still a little bit different. Um, and so for the most part, because there were six of those objective points available, that was actually more than the majority of points available in the main missions for both demolition um, and realistically meeting engagement. I mean, if you managed to do more than six units in meeting engagement, you generally were doing pretty good. Um, but I think just looking quickly at the overall, we only had in that in meeting engagement in round one, we only had one player get six points, mm -hmm. um, as in six kill points. Yeah. Um, so in the previous episode, we really go into a, a, a in-depth look at each of the side objectives and the rulebook missions that we played. So I really recommend watching that because there's some really good insight into our thought process before the event um, and, okay. and, and what we thought was important. But um, those listening that are, are kind of new to bolt action, I'll just very quickly go over. Meeting engagement is basically the kill point mission. Um, and then key positions is where we, we do a little bit of a modification on the actual rules themselves, um, where we have five different objectives on the map and you have to capture those by turn six. And demolition's the one where both players have a base that they have to defend and the um, mission ends when an enemy unit ends their turn on that base. So that could be turn one to six, depending on, on how fast you could move anything. I don't think you can do it in turn one, but anyway, you could if you had the units that could get there. Um, so uh, really interesting. And then the other thing that um, kind of uh, was a little bit out of the norm for us was um, the selectors. So um, we typically have, you know, generic only, theater only, and never really a mix of both. Um, so that was interesting. We saw a lot of different lists. We saw a lot of infantry heavy lists. We saw players with lots of tanks and they all seemed to do equally well from my perspective of the people that I played and who I talked to and all this kind of stuff. I didn't, you know, sit and watch every game because I was playing myself. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, th that, that was different for us. Um, the missions themselves were a, a, a stock standard. Um, but yeah, the, the, the side objectives are, are really the key thing. And um, I don't actually have on the side uh, rules in front of me. Does anybody else? So we can quickly run through what those six side objectives were. Oh, I, I know what they are. Okay, cool. <laughs> what do we got? I only, I only scored them about 60 times. Um, <laughs> so... The, so in no particular order, uh, we had Lieutenant Dan, which was a victory point for killing the opposing lieutenant. Uh, it had to be a lieutenant model. Um, uh, ironically, no one took advantage of, of that by trying to just take like a captain or, or something like that. But um, uh, that is what it is. Uh, we had VAT69, uh, which was an objective where you had to have at least one unit in every quarter of the board because you were searching for the elusive barrel of scotch. Uh, we had, uh, I think it was called Breakthrough or Line Breaker, um, which was one of your units within 12 inches of the opponent's board edge. 
uh, from at the end of the game, uh, and they had to be there at the end of the game. I think that was called uh, crosswalk. Pin cushion. Yeah. Crosswalk. That's the one. Yes. Yep. Um, uh, we had pin cushion, uh, which was if you successfully had an enemy unit uh, instead of being destroyed and fled, but actually managed to pin the unit out, uh, you got a point for that. Uh, what else do we have? That's four. There's two more. HE man. Um, and then I think there was an exceptional man. damage one as well. And the sharpshooter. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yep. Yep. And they're so they were they were quite simple ones to pick up. Um, well, actually, that's not true. HE man was actually quite difficult on the day because it didn't count if they simply ran away from being shot by HE. You had mm -hmm. to literally kill everybody, um, which was a much harder task. Um, HE man and the um, pin cushion seem to be the ones that would be near impossible to achieve. I got them in my first round, <laughs> which I was pretty proud of, but we ended up, I think, drawing on VP and everything else. Uh, I think I drew most of my games, actually, from memory. Um, all, all, th all three. Yeah, that's right. Um, all excellent opponents. We had like a, a brand new guy, and he, he did exceedingly well. Um, then I face Nick from the club and Sam at the end with his Soviets. So two Soviets and an Australian team. Um, yeah, really, really, really good event. Um, side missions are awesome. I want to, I want to see more of them, maybe, maybe different ones. Um, but, uh, yeah, fantastic event. Um, and we gave away a lot of prizes to, um, mostly everybody who was there. I mean, there, there was what, 24 players and maybe like something like 16 prizes or something like that. Uh, maybe it wasn't that high, but it, w it seemed quite high that most people got away with something. Yeah, I think once once I bundled them up for the packaging, I think there were 14 prizes. Um, a couple of those were the first general bundled prizes. Um, but but that, even at 14 prizes, literally um, half the field is, is getting uh, something. Uh, be it a, a random uh, raffle draw or an award. Um, and, and more specifically, we also had, um, and I'll go through our sponsors who, who helped us um, with the prize support that Justin got organized in a second, but um, we had some, uh, some dog tags set up for our raffle prizes. Um, and so they were actually sent, uh, sent through to us by uh, Amazing Forge, um, which is a local WA company um, doing laser cut acrylic. Um, and, a, and a couple of other things. And they do some really, really cool stuff. Um, and they basically, Justin organized with them, sent them through a, uh, a list of the players that were expected on the day. And so we actually got the logo of the club, um, Outpost 6030, uh, and everyone's names and the event that they attended uh, laser cut into some acrylic dog tags, uh, which we could then use to do the raffles with instead of having to you know, do raffle tickets or, um, you know, order dice of different colors. It gets hard when you've got 24 players. Hmm. Yeah. Um, um, so we had the Amazing Forge um, things. We had a couple of Knights of Dice um, vouchers. We had the OTP yeah, stuff um, as well. Yeah, Knights of Dice sent us over, um, they, they sent us over five, uh, five vouchers, which we were able to raffle off. Uh, as part of the prize pool, um, had some very, very keen uh, people looking at their terrain kits and their uh, their phone bags. Um, OTP, um, once again, you know, 
they they went above and beyond as a as, as a specifically Perth based WA business, um, and, and they really um, really went went in quite hard for us. Like they they're quite good at um, providing uh, I, I guess some some support for us when we're looking to promote it. Um, we had I think there were even I think there were four tables that had OTP terrain actually on them on the day as well. Um, um, yeah, but they had a stack of prizes. Um, and the other one that we had, um, which was, uh, and I'm really, really excited about this one as well, uh, which was Dice of War. Um, there's a gentleman who was previously over East and is now in WA. Um, and his his dice are extremely high quality. Um, after having a chance to uh, visually look at the prize support myself, but also um, some of the other players in Perth that have had his dice before. Um, really, really good quality. So we had some um, some prize support and some bonus prize support. We didn't know we were going to get from him as well, uh, which really helped just to make you know make those things uh, a little bit better. And if anyone's after his contact information, we'll link link it in the description or something. The same with OTP and, and Amazing Forge, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, yeah, look, we had some quality support come and help us, and it just made that day you know so much better. Yeah. And and fantastic that this was all kind of organized. Um, I guess the week after, like uh, isolation was starting to stop in in WA, it, it was Justin getting on top of this for us, all the way from Canada. Um, and uh, yeah, basically the whole community going, yes, we want to get back into bolt action. Um, and it and it was a strong showing. So. Um, it's an event to be proud of, um, but we, mm. we all we all really enjoyed it and um, can't wait for the next one, um, which kind of won't be long. We've got quite a few things lined up over the next two months. Um, most of it dub, yeah. uh, World War II, um, a good portion of it bolt action as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, is there anything else we want to, talk about skulls um before we move on to to what else is happening in wa i think it would be good to sort of do a blow by blow account of everybody's rounds i think mm -hmm. it might be really interesting to sort of bring some of our observations to light because we made um quite a few strong statements about deployment and tactics last episode and i think it would be good to put put money sort of where our mouth is and see how we went so um i actually had a buy for the first round uh, which i volunteered for i had a chat to dan um before the event i said look if it comes down to it don't worry about it I'll, you know i'll put my hand up um so round one i got to just sort of sit in my ass and and interrogate the photographer at the event for a little while um who volunteered to do that out of his out of his own time so thanks to tyler for doing that one how was um how was your round uh, one jacob yeah, so I'm actually gonna. I've, you won't be able to see this, but I'm I'm just showing some photos from the event now, and I'm gonna try and pan to my first round. So, um, what I'm seeing here on the screen, we're having a look at all people's different armies. In fact, now I've got on on screen um, the army I faced. Um, so it was an Australian army. Um, it was uh, this player's first event. Um, sorry, where. Moving across into my second game with Nick, and then oh, this is beautiful. This is the photo of um, Gorchin's objective marker for. I'm guessing this is for demolition, right? The one with the um, the paradropped um, supply crate. Yeah, that yeah. that was a that was a lot of fun. 
putting yeah. that one together. Um, far too much math than it already <laughs> than it should have been. Um, so I'm just showing some some photos of uh, Gorchin's army. We'll we'll get to that first round in a minute. But um, more importantly, um, yeah, his painting's great. But this is a board that Gorchin's designed for Varsity, and it was one of the tables there. Um, what's on screen now is um, my display board and the um, army that I took. So last episode, I, I revealed the entire army, which is a armored recon platoon, which in, it has three armored vehicles, sorry, three armored cars, a tank, some howitzers, and, and um, some infantry. But yes, I now have uh, game one. So game one um, was the meeting engagement. Um, I kind of was very aggressive into moving into the middle of the board, um, despite the cover. Um, we, we, we did a bit of a, a back and forth on the deployment, trying to figure out who's going to put their tanks where. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, everything kind of converged in this, this middle lane. Um, and then, then we had these these two kind of outskirt sides um, of of a village, um, and and we're trying to um, outflank each other, not using the rules outflank. Um, we we actually deployed everything on the um, board as we went. Um, so this was very much it was a bloody game. Um, we were we were losing models fairly quickly, but it was it was I would lose. I would lose a squad, he would lose a squad. Um, I've got a very funny photo right here at the end where I've uh, advanced two of my armored cars within less than an, well, it, well, I guess it has to be an inch because you need an inch apart um, of uh, his lieutenant. And this is on the sixth round where I'm really trying to hunt for an additional VP to push me over and in, into to, to, to perhaps winning. Um, I've advanced an eight rad and a two 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 one one inch away from his lieutenant, and his lieutenant was completely fine. So I didn't get the HE man there, and I didn't get the lieutenant down, and I didn't get the exceptional damage or anything like that, even though I was really trying. Um, but yeah, uh, I think the meeting engagement with the side missions just completely changed it. Um, we I was looking and hiding from like I was hiding specifically from a sniper. I was trying to um, engage in, in, in combat that would utilize the HE over the machine guns and in these vehicles and that kind of thing. Um, excellent game. Uh, really, really good opponent. Um, couldn't have gone better. We were both exceptionally happy with, with the, with the whole match. And that was the theme for me for the entire event. It, it, it was just a pleasure to play everybody and it never seemed one-sided and it seemed at every point that it could go either way um and uh that's talking specifically about the actual mission and the combat happening um rather than uh my kind of focus on on the on the extra objectives um but yeah it seems like well all of my matches uh people were playing to the best that they could and they weren't gaming it in a sense that like I'm 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 going for this side objective and I don't care about you know what the thematic war would be or or the battle or the or the mission itself like um it seemed pretty even that people were going for both um 
So yeah, um, meeting engagement, absolutely awesome game. Um, and then uh, I guess all we can talk about is round two, which was um, key positions. So uh, again, the key positions, you normally roll the, the D3 plus two. We just went for a straight five across the board. Um, one player deploys a um, objective and the other player deploys the next one. You go back and forth until you do the whole five. Um, and then you play it out and you deploy. So um, who did you end up facing, Gorchen? So I got um, I got Brad for game two, uh, my game one. Um, and after Dan very courteously providing me tournament average points for round one in meeting engagement. Um, so the map was was actually really interesting. It ended up being nicknamed the maze map by a few people, but if you sort of split the board uh, into sort of thirds long ways, there was a line of hedgerow at each thirds plus vertically, and there was buildings everywhere. It was really short range stuff. Um, and so we were playing key positions. And one of the, the things that I realized talking about deployments last week was that in key positions, there's no point to do forward deployment. Um, mm -hmm. I think, at least from my gameplay in the way that I like to do it, because uh, one of the things that I've I've really learned about bolt action, it's really important to try to get your opponent to show their hand. Mm -hmm. uh, that really gave me a lot of flexibility. It's why I moved away from a pure veteran list into a mixed list so I could get the 12 order dice, which was max. And so I had a sniper, I had a mortar spotter, but I didn't actually forward deploy them. I just left everything off the board. Um, and Brad, very understandably, and I would normally do the same thing, he took a perfectly commanding position in the center of the board with his sniper. Fantastic field to the fire. Um, and then we sort of had three objectives in the middle and then one in opposite corner. Um, my deployment was two squads on my right flank, one squad in the center, Chaffee in reserve, engineer squad with the transport in outflank coming on my left turn three uh, and then I put my howitzer in the bottom left and I basically parked everybody else in the bottom right what I wanted to do was to sweep from uh, an area that was no objective and just collapse in this flank Brad saw through that plan uh, very quickly and he strongly he put everything on that flank as well to stop me from coming through and it pretty much was a stalemate um, I got really lucky my mortar took out his sniper in turn one um, oh, wow. and he decided not to, not to go down. Uh, so I got a six and I killed both of them. Oh, so wow. there was HE man. Um, and I was really happy about that because <laughs> the thing that I didn't want to do was get my sniper stuck in the sniper tool with his sniper. I yeah. didn't want to do that. I don't yeah. like doing that in normal games of bolt action. I didn't want to do it in this sort of competitive setting either. Yes. It's a real easy way to get exceptional damage. But I actually found exceptional damage was something that was actually just going to happen over the course of a game anyway. Hmm. You shoot at each other enough times, you're eventually going to get a, a confirmed six on any one of the other dice. And what I really wanted to do was use my officer to take, sorry, my sniper to take out his officer. That didn't, just wasn't really a possibility that game. <laughs> um, it just because of deployments and the whole thing was a maze. Uh, I had a second flamethrower team. Um, one was in my engineer squad, the other one was by itself. I just parked it on my rear objective. I did that same thing in round three and I just left them there all game. And that's probably not the most points efficient way of mm -hmm. doing it, but 
what I found was both of my opponents around two and three said, there's no point in me pushing for that objective because you'll just flamer me. Uh, and it actually works much more as a psychological wow. okay. tool than actually yeah. effective. Yeah. Um, I managed to, to uh, you know, really hold uh, that one objective in key position completely uncontested and all it cost me was a flamethrower team. I had another mm -hmm. one, so I wasn't fast. In hindsight, playing it back, I could have parked my sniper on there and used my flamethrower on the on the assault. But yeah, I think I think for me to have, I would have had to realize that at deployment that that was a possibility. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I pushed along that flank. Brad met me, and then it ended up just being a lot of gunfire through hedges, very little uh, effectiveness. My howitzer here on the left flank could see right through the center of the board. And I just kept him on ambush. And anytime his armored car and his stuck tried to cross, I would just sling rounds at them. Um, my chaffy rolled on round two, uncontested. Just he was more of more of a nuisance than anything else. Um, mm. And then, you know, the whole thing really just I managed to ratchet on the pressure. Pressure turn three, outflankers came on, almost killed the whole squad. The turn four killed that, uh, and then I killed the lieutenant. Um, afterwards, so I got Lieutenant Dan, I got um, that objective that the Lieutenant was sitting on as well. Uh, and that sort of pushed me over to the victory. Um, so it was, it was a really tough game. Brad played really well. There was a lot of, it was, I felt like it was one of those games where there wasn't at any point, there wasn't a great decision to make. It was like, I've just mm -hmm. got to make the best decision that I can. Um, when I came out the other yeah. side, I think the points were 3-1 or 4-1 to my favor, I think. So I was really happy about that. 5-1. Um, uh, yeah, wow, well, okay. 5-1. Um, yeah, and it was just, I think it was just the nature of that of that board that really, um, really made that game difficult. Uh, I had, I had to think about three or four order dice on Brad. Brad played quite a heavy veteran list that I would normally play in a casual game. So I knew the things that he was going to try to do generally. And I knew that I needed to, to not get divided to really present a big concentrated front. So I could use the numbers. I could use the order dice, the advantage of the initiative. Um, yeah, it ended up just being a grab for objectives uh, in the end. But because I had completely sort of destroyed this flank here, uh, on my left, uh, I was able to capture more objectives than him. And plus I was able to secure quite a few side objectives. I think, um, th again, this is more luck than anything else. By the end of that game, I'd only lost two riflemen. Um, oh, wow. Out of my army. So I was, was very impressed with that result and Brad did not make it easy. I was, I was, I was sweating every decision that I was making, but happy with the result. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I'm going to bring up some photos of my game two with Nick. So um, on deployment, I think I mentioned this in the podcast last time, you know, we're talking about, you know, uh, decision-making between outflank and, and, and uh, not. And uh, I, I decided to keep it simple for the entire game and uh, sorry for all three games. And that was to, Bring everything first wave and no outflanking, no no um, uh, forward deployment or anything like that, and and really just play to um, responding to 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 what my opponent did. So in this game, um, I've got up on screen uh, 
we've got the the Soviets kind of on on the left hand side and and the DAC which are mine on the right. So I'm facing Nick in this one, um, and uh, he's kind of got the same sort of strategy with his deployment. That's kind of where I've I've taken it from. So um, it's going to be a little bit hard. I'm going to zoom in. Um, we've got a, a wreck here in the middle. That that's one of the key position points. We've got um, this 88 here on the bridge. Um, and then if we scroll down, we've got this uh, camo netting um, of fuel dump. And then th there's kind of one in my deployment zone here in this little house. And there's another one which is just sort of hidden behind this this, this Soviet group over here. Um, so the, the, the one thing that I'm really struggling with Nick's list, and I love it, um, is because cause I've gone with... Uh, I've got four armored vehicles, um, and he's taken this anti-tank selector, which is three groups of two-man teams that have a Panzerfaust, and he can forward deploy them. So he strategically oh, this, so yeah, puts he strategically puts them basically halfway up the board that will cover twelve inches on each side. So there's no point, and he takes them as hidden. So I, I think you can deploy um, deploy forward observers as hidden um, until you activate them in a in a particular way, and I think they can even remain that way on ambush. I'm not exactly sure, um, but uh, it's hard. <laughs> it's like where there, there's actually no position to move up, and um, I. Every time I've I've only played him twice, I think, with this list, one in preparation for this event and then the actual event as well. Um, and then, you know, it, it, early on, you're, you're trying to make decisions on where you should deploy your armor. Um, and there's not great decisions. Uh, sorry, there's not great points that you can deploy them because they're... they're um, they're going to be in range of these these Fausts the next time you move them. So took the risk with like the really weak 222 that just had an MG and it didn't work out, but at least that opened up that flank and I could start pushing through. Um, something that I kind of liked what I did is in this photo, um, you'll you'll see I've got this, this Panzer three here and I've got um, a pack behind it. Um, I was actually having a really tough time with this particular map because um, there just wasn't really any openings to to put any of the guns and that there was this river section that was really denying a lot of movement as well um and yeah i i, I was at this point where i was like oh if i put this pack the, the only place that it might actually be beneficial to 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 attack his t-34 is in this one firing lane that that's also in the position of a sniper and a mortar that can be seen uh, and then I, I just came to it and I was just like, oh, I really want to put this gun down before the tank. And I'm like, you know what, I'll put the tank in front of it and then I'll put the gun down after it and use it as cover and then then kind of move away. And, and I was lucky enough that um, there were mortars and there were howitzers and there were pins being fired on the snipers and all that kind of stuff that the pack didn't actually get damaged. And, you know, there were many rounds where... This 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 Panzer three and the pack were both attacking the T thirty four, but I got so um, 
short-sighted in trying to defeat that armor i probably wasted five turns trying to kill it and everything was just pinging back it was nice i mean he was getting a couple pins on it and stuff so he wasn't able to use it in a way that was dangerous for me but um his actual force is really heavy on infantry and every point we were we were contested throughout the whole game um, and it, it was just lucky that, you know, uh, that, that my veteran infantry just survived as long as it did. But there was a point where I was like, I should have realized this a turn ago that that tank needed to ignore and just rush in and help the infantry. Um, I realized that too late. Um, but it, it, in doing so, um, it, it, this Panzer three kind of got in the middle of the board and it, and it, and it destroyed a unit that was, that was around uh, no it, it it just gave enough lead way that that one of my troops could survive and, and we, we continued to contest so in the end um uh we had i had two points he had two and we and we had one contested um and uh yeah the, the, there was just a lot of carnage but it was it was a great game and i i played nick for uh you know roughly two years and i i think he's at his best right now he's uh He's really um, showing up um, what he can do in this game, and and it and it impresses me every time I'm learning from him. Um, it was a fantastic match, and uh, it was uh, it was a brilliant. Um, yeah, so here you see my T thirty. Sorry, my two 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 is blown up by that that those two man teams. Um, I like his list. I think it. I think it, it's brilliant. Um, it, it's got a lot of infantry, you know, you got some SMG squads in there, you got a lot of um, full strength um, rifles. Um, I, I, I think he's got a solid list and he, and he, and he played it beautifully. Um, I didn't do too bad either. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I think I think that was a, that was another I, I was I was at the point of playing meeting and thinking this is gonna be the highlight game of, of the of the day and then I played played that and i'm like wow this, this is fantastic um so well done nick um ended in a draw but it was it was, it was a great game um and then we go on to demolition so um how did that play for you gorchen so before we get into this one here uh, we had a catch up after the oh yeah after the the, the tournament um and dan you said some really interesting things were happening here on the scoreboard from round one to round three and going to round three. Yeah, so normally um, so round one, it's always a little bit of a, a mixed bag because at the moment we don't have seeded rankings and so it's a random matchup, which means sometimes you get uh, really good players that, that that naturally play really well that might face a newcomer, for example, um, and the newcomer is like, Oh, so you're like a top table player. This will be fun, um, and that happens in you know all sorts of systems. Um, but that generally means that you'll end up with wins and losses as opposed to draws. Uh, in round one, we actually had uh, we had three drawn games plus the buy, so technically four drawn games. Uh, in round two, we had five drawn games. So this is the first round where. I'm trying to seed people and match them based on the resulting, uh, the result of the previous one and go, right, so you've had some losses, so we'll match you up based 
some victory points to where you're at. So you should be placing against someone that is approximately the same level as you. Um, it takes a, yeah, I still got five draws. I actually got more draws than I got for round five. We may only have one winner this time around. Everyone's still fighting around draws. And um, in round three, that's actually exactly what happened. We only had, uh, we only had five players out of the 24 win. We had, I think, let me just count up. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, we had seven draws in the last round. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, we only had, uh, we only had 13 tables. So like 60% of our players, excuse my bad math, that's probably not exactly 60%. Yeah. But, um, but a good proportion of our, um, uh, of our players actually had draws in their last round, um, which is why I was complaining so much around the rankings and when I was trying to sort out the countbacks. And, and we'll get into the differences in the scores, I think, at the end so I can talk something. But, um, but yeah, it, it made a big difference. Yeah, that was some. It, it was really interesting to sort of hear about that after um, after the day. But round three for me, uh, as we said before, it was demolition. Uh, I was up against Luke, fantastic player. The game was it was some of the most fun I've had in bolt action in a long time. I didn't realize this at the time, and I'm glad I didn't because I think I would have played very poorly if I realized this. Me and Luke were actually fighting for uh, overall second place. Um, so I was best allied general, um, Matt took out best axis, but Luke and I were, were basically going neck and neck for, for overall second. Um, and, and I didn't realize that I was anywhere near a contender for, for, you know, even the top 10, you know, I was, I was happy to be somewhere at the bottom of the pack at the end of the day, just to get out there and play it was, and, and, you know, really give it, give it an earnest go. But so we played demolition and, um, I sized up Luke's list. Uh, it looked really familiar to the, again, sort of a, a list that I would normally take, um, which is core infantry. Um, he had a WESP, I think. Uh, it's a medium howitzer open-topped armored vehicle. Um, he had three or four, three veteran infantry squads of different types, but basically it's the German thing. You got LMGs coming out the wazoo. And then he had a... A howling cow, um, mm. and a, and a heavy mortar sniper team, uh, lieutenant. A pretty pretty mm. standard list. Um, and so this one here, I was like, demolition. You've got to play aggressively because otherwise you just get a draw or worse, you lose. Um, and I also know that when I play that type of list, one of the things that I really hate is early game aggression. The whole thing about a smaller veteran list is that you can you can take one or two punches, take an order dice or two off your opponent, then you can start counterattacking, building momentum, and really just work yeah. off that tempo, start setting it yourself. And I was like, I can't give him a break. I've mm. really just got to be in his face from round one. Um, unfortunately, that meant I charged a unit. Uh, so he, he moved something, uh, he moved an infantry squad out into the middle. He was relatively balanced. Um, he had a mortar in one corner, howling cow in the other corner, wesp in the middle, um, squad left, squad right, squad center. He moved a squad up the middle. Um, 
and then I moved another squad to shoot at them, and then his mortar landed a six on that squad. Because uh, it was a heavy mortar, it just deleted the entire squad. Uh, so they were on the board for, I think, all of about eight minutes, um, which is, that's a pretty serious problem at this point. I've only got three infantry squads. I'm really starting to worry about this defense that I'm going to be able to hold. So leaving left on the objective was my light howitzer um, in ambush, looking down the whole firing line in that flank. Another infantry squad, my officer hiding behind a building just in case I needed a morale bubble or a snap two bubble. And um, because I'm an absolute cretin, a flamethrower team on my demolition objective. So, uh, and I also had my transport Jeep on that flank that I was actually using as mobile hardcover, uh, <laughs> which is a fantastic bit of cheese in case but that's not even the worst cheese I did with that Jeep. I'll get to that one later. So I move, I squad it on the, on the left. I move it towards this objective. I just run them. I ran them for two turns straight, just 24 inches across the board. Um, my engineer squad, I deployed them on the field in the truck and I ran them across uh, the whole open plane. I parked them behind a building so they were nice and hidden. And same with my Chaffee, just ran it up the board on that flank. So, you know, I would say, I didn't do the math, but it's somewhere between 40 to 60% of my force in points cost is halfway up the board at the end of turn one on an open, open plane in a flank. Um, so then uh, my mortar was lobbing rounds on his sniper. That took forever, um, but I eventually got He-Man with the mortar. So I'm happy with that. Uh, I'd say it took forever. It took as long as statistically it was supposed to take three or four turns to kill his mm. mortar. Um, and then engineers popped out, flamethrower squad, MMG uh, on the truck at the Howling Cow, just to keep his, you know, just keep those guys doing anything except what they want to do. Um, I didn't quite kill them that turn. I managed to kill them the next turn. And then his wesp rolls forward. I, my howitzer bounces around off him, puts on a couple of pins, and he basically doesn't use his wesp for the rest of the game. It just keeps failing the order test uh, with two pins. Very happy with that. Um, and then it just the whole thing just unraveled for both of us very quickly after that point. I <laughs> charge an infantry squad onto the demolition objective, killer's Panzerschreck team that was holding the objective. This is turn three. I'm wow. on his objective. I think I'm like, this, this could be it. Like mm -hmm. I could actually end the game here. I knew that I wasn't going to get away with it because that was my last die in the bag. He had a couple of more dice. He had some things left to activate. But I was like, look, I have to spring the trap now. If I yeah. wait till turn four, he can reinforce the objective. I might be able to yeah, just... Yeah, it's too late. I might just be able to tie this in right here. So I did it. Squad on the objective. Um, I was like, I was literally 11 inches away from that Panzer Shrek team. <laughs> so that was, that was real lucky. Got on the, uh, you know, consolidated onto it. I was in some cover, happy with that. Uh, and then Luke does the single best decision he could possibly make. And he charges that squad with another veteran squad that had more guys in it and more SMGs. Cause if he shoots at me, I'm in hard cover and stuff. I'm going to yeah. live the. His only chance there is to get me off the objective. The only way you can do that is to charge with an infantry squad. And I didn't even think I killed a single one of his guys. The, mm -hmm. It was, I think it was like nine to seven in his favor and it didn't matter. It might've been nine to one because yeah, yeah, I didn't kill a single one of them. So here we are, bottom of turn three. 
I've just been kicked off the objective. I'm down to one infantry squad and an engineer squad that are on completely opposite ends of the map. Uh, and I've got a chaffee and an MMG transport behind the engineer squad. Turn four, his wasp activate. Uh, no, sorry, it wasn't that. His mortar lands another six on my engineer squad and <laughs> oh, just man. deletes everybody except the NCO. And I'm like, this whole thing's just completely unraveling. Um, I basically put all of my fire onto that veteran squad on the objective. Um, he actually removes the models that are between the objective and my chaffee. Mm -hmm. um, and so I run my chaffee onto the objective. And I can yeah. like park a tank tread on it. I'm outside one inch from the other guy. And then here's, and then on the other flank, he's maneuvering the squad between the turns. He finds a gap between an infantry squad and my howitzer, and he charges my lieutenant and he cuts them down. He, he was actually two inches short of consolidating onto my objective. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then, and then I got a super short shot with my light howitzer on that squad <laughs> which is delicious um <laughs> it's like i'm gonna hit you on a two with my howitzer oh, um wow and i managed to kill that squad but just and then i take my transport jeep on a road i run it 48 inches and i park it between his wesp and my chaffee so oh, my transport jeep no. is giving to my chaffee <laughs> or at the very least oh. like cover <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say it. It doesn't grant hard cover. It grants soft cover. Sure. Yeah. But, but at the, it 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 didn't matter. What it does. He, he's like he rolled a hit, and it was like you got a two on the dice, so it was irrelevant anyway. But But I think I think we were laughing at that cheese for a good five or six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at it. And I was just like, that's a road and two pivots. <laughs> <laughs> Because he had no Panzerfaust left, his only anti-tank option was the West, um, and it was a, it wasn't a great chance to blow up the, the Chaffee, but it was a chance. Uh, yeah, and then we ended the turn on that one. I think that game was pretty close in the end, mm. um, in terms of points. But it was just like it was, it was probably the most back and forth game of bolt action I've ever had. Oh wow, that's brilliant. That's um, good to hear. Um... I'll put up a photo. Yeah, so ahead, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is um, Luke's list. Um, you kind of got some bright green vibrant on the Grenadiers. They had this like stone basing. I can see like a Howling Cow or Wesp. Um, and yeah. then I can see some side vehicles on the side. I don't know if he actually, maybe they're just objective markers. It looks like a Kubel and some other things. Um, yeah, they're just objective yeah, markers, I think. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to pan and find my opponent, which is Sam. Um, so, uh, yeah, he built a, a nice little display board here, um, has quite a few um, rifle squads, um, ended up with, uh, what do you call it, um, the Lend-Lease um, Sherman, um, and I'm not sure what model this uh, armoured car is for, for the Soviets, but it's the one that looks like it's got a light anti-tank on the top. And, and it's got a couple of wheels. I think and it's stuff. A, uh, a BA6 or Yeah, a that, that, that's what I BA think 10. it would be. Yeah, it's either one of those two. I can see a mortar and I can see a howitzer in there as well. Um, and uh, we, 
he had this really cool thing. He had this uh, genuine like 1985 Soviet helmet that we were drawing the dice from, <laughs> which is pretty fun. It's so cool. Um, really cool. And then he had this this Soviet medal that was that was on the display board as well. Um, he had a couple of a couple of genuine coins and things like that. It was really cool. But the I don't have any photos of the match. Um, hopefully, I can grab some from Tyler at some point. But this was a really heavily. Um, there was a river, and it, it probably took up a good um, 25% of actual movable space on the board. But it it, it went through the middle of of the whole thing. Um, and uh, yeah, that, we that one's my bad. <laughs> So we, we, we came in and we're like, how are we going to do this? Because like, this, this is going to block everything. And like, um, surely you're going to have your objectives on one side of it. And I'm going to have mine on the other. I'm like, are we going to allow to advance through it? Sure. Perfect. All right. Um, so we went with that. And uh, I kind of um, casually deployed at some of these armored cars first, knowing that I could move them at a great distance later. Um, to try and bait some of the armor to be on the the, the other side of the board, um, that kind of worked. And then you know, then really heavily focus on one big flank that was just looking at his objective. Um, but uh, they really like my troops really got bogged down into this this one small lane of fire of of really trying to move up. Um, and it, and it was difficult because there was, um, there was just every opportunity that I would have intervening to, uh, models from, from another squad that might be blocking my lines of fire and stuff. But I really, um, focus on, yeah, these troops have got to run forward and get close to the objective. Um, and then, then I'll, I'll just try and harass with these armored cars around and, and it didn't really work for me the way I anticipated when I saw the game, I was like, I'm really going to be able to push through and just charge with these infantry. And, and that didn't really happen. They didn't necessarily get pinned out or, or anything like that. Um, and there wasn't too much heavy casualties on either side for the infantry themselves. Um, it was just, um, there was just so much in a small sort of gap. Um, so it was... Uh, it was a bit back and forth, and it didn't really seem like anyone was getting necessarily close to the objectives. Um, and uh, we were calling for time very close to, to the point where I had uh, decided to move an eight right around a building that was kind of on a river, and it didn't really look like it was going to get to a point where it would be close to the objective. But, you know, we, we went to the next turn, and then I just saw it, and, you know, he went for some other stuff, and I was like, I'm sorry, a wheeled vehicle, and please, I've got to, i got to check this because it, 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 a wheeled vehicle can run with a pivot. <laughs> so it was, you know, behind this building that his base was, and 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 and, and sorry, what's a wheeled vehicle's uh, movement? It's 24 inches on a run. So um, it it was it was well within. It was probably 19 inches away. Um, with 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 a pivot, and I'm like, sorry, I'm going to move this on to the objective, and I just felt so bad because like there's all this combat happening everywhere else, and this this was just something that was just kind of uh, not really seen by either of us. 
Um, I, I remember that, Jacob, like, because you were, you were trying so hard to find ways to give him points because he wasn't in a position to take your base. Um, no. And so you're trying to find, like, what can I do to make this a bit better? And I could see that the, because you knew that you were able to, to do that run move. And I'm yeah. sitting there as the TO and I'm like, just run it over, man. Just, just get it done. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan calls for time. And I, uh, uh, after I put it on and, and like people are still packing up and stuff, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to, I want you, I'm going to move. I told him like, I'm moving this onto the objective. Um, I think, you know, it, it's kind of a, a, a dick move in the sense that like, I'm just going to win the game and you're not going to have any opportunity to do it. So let's play out all of your infantry turns quickly and see if they can assault the tank and, sorry, assault the armored vehicle and get it off. Um, this is the only armored car that I have that's fully enclosed. All the other ones are open-topped. And I, I've lost a lot of armored cars in the last week or two um, to uh, close combat that I, I just didn't necessarily... Um, see originally um and i'm glad that i learned that lesson before putting this armored car on that point because i could have probably done it with another car that, that he could have easily got rid of um so uh i think the rules with a fully enclosed um sorry an open top vehicle first off you're not doing the tank fear i don't think and um it's any damage that you get on the vehicle it's destroyed um, so it's irrespective of the damage table. So what, if you, if you get it, then, then it blows up or whatever. Um, so this is the only, this is like my only vehicle that could do it, um, that was fully enclosed. So it wouldn't, uh, benefit from it wasn't susceptible. Yeah, that, that's, that's the wording. Um, and, uh, I, I actually am not sure I didn't, didn't even bother to look it up. Um, I just wanted to give him a chance. I may have this right. I may have this wrong. Uh, it, it might be that uh, tank fear doesn't include uh, fully enclosed armored vehicles or not. I'm just going to have a quick look. But I said that it did um, to, to give him a chance. Uh, and he passed every single of his tank fear tests with about four infantry squads, but failed to do any damage. Um, and I was like, I, I, I'm like, grab that squad, move it here. And Dan's like, time, time, I'm like, just, just do it, just do it. Like, <laughs> give him a chance. And uh, I'm sorry, Sam, we, we did everything we could and couldn't destroy <laughs> that tank. Um, so I'm, I'm having a look at close, close, uh, no, tank fear, da, 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 da. Fully enclosed armored vehicle. Okay, so it is, it, it would include a um, armored car that is, not open topped. Yeah. So yeah, you, yes, you you played it right. Um, so yeah, I, I, but that didn't come into play. Inf infantry squads that inexperienced, yeah, they passed the test. So they didn't care, <laughs> but um, they just couldn't <laughs> do the damage, um, which which was unfortunate. And he had he had some big squads as well, but you know they just didn't roll well. So sorry, Sam, about that. But um, up until that point. Uh, there was no clear winner, and the carnage of the forces themselves was uh, pretty much on par. Um, and uh, it, it was it was another great game. I've never played Sam. I've talked to him online for years. Um, so so that that was that was awesome to 
finally I have met him in person but not had a game, so that that was awesome. Um, loved all the extra flair that he had for the Soviets. Um, and yeah, it was an enjoyable game, except that uh, you know he just ran that thing on right at the end. But oh well. Um, in the end, we drew because of the side missions. Um, so it wasn't that yeah. bad. And and I guess that's that's um, you know that that's a really good segue into you know using the vehicles in demolition is particularly effective. We had quite a few people do it, but of the let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine we had ten players successfully destroy the base um, in the last round. Uh, so about half the players did that. So that's that's actually pretty good for demolition. What you normally expect is that gives you ten players that win. No, no, we oh. had we had two players that won. Even though we had sorry three players that won. Even though we had ten people destroy the base, because of those side objectives and the way that the scoring worked out for how many points were there for the the base being destroyed. Um, yeah, we actually only had three winners for that round, which resulted in a large number of draws. Hmm. Um, yeah, uh, so uh, just some, I'd like to know how some of the other players might have went in, in that mission. Did, did anyone sort of catch up with people? I, I think from memory, Mike did okay. Which which I, I was really rooting for because he had you know just the tank force and like you know it was either going to be this is going to be great or it's going to all fall apart. Um, I think I yeah. think he did all right on the demolition. Yeah, he, he won his game. Yep. He won his game against Sam Haller. Um, so I think Sam, uh, it, it got to the point where Mike had something that was able to drive onto the objective, and so he just was gunning for the objective and kept going. And Sam just didn't have anything there that was able to, to stop him down to the last um, point. I remember watching the game and um, right before Mike drove onto Sam's objective, Sam had two units, not just one, but two units on Mike's objective. Oh, wow. Um, and he was, and they were going to take him out the, the turn before. And um, Mike basically turned around uh, two of his tanks, one of them being the... Um, uh, Flak uh, one, Kerbal Blitz, yeah, yeah. The, the Flak Dual Auto Cannon one, and that eviscerated one of the squads and turned it into meat paste, um, and and that just that just disappeared, uh, and I think the other squad that was nearby um, got nailed by a, a howitzer shot or something off one of his tanks, um, meeting ridiculous odds, mm-hmm. um, but that left his third tank that was still roaming around um, to move forward, but um, I mean that's an interesting because because Mike did run a uh, I think it was a seven order dice list, which included uh, a Panther, two Panzer twos, uh, a Panzer four, and yep. uh, and a motorcycle. Um, yep. You know, there was some. I think there was some other things in there, but that's, yeah, that's so, so roughly actually, what the composition. From memory, he had so he he made a post, and sorry, I, I just can't find the photo right at the moment, but it'd be really cool if I could. Um, it, he, he, he made a post and he said, I've got every chassis variant. So I've got the Panzer 1, I've got the Panzer 2, yeah. and I've got like the Flak 1 that's on the Panzer 3 chassis. He has like a Stug as well, and then he has the um, Panther, which is a Panzer 5. Um, yeah, that, that was it. That was yeah. the one. Yeah. 
Um, what was fantastic about the um, the, the really big cat, um, the, the Panzer V one, is um, for the first two games, I think it only fired three or four times. Mm-hmm. It was pinned for the for the rest of them, um, and twice. Uh, twice it failed its morale check and just simply backed up in game one when it's trying to get kills and it just went uh, nope and just reversed. Um, and uh, or was it, no, it was game two against Ed. And um, he parked it, parked them on the uh, the key positions marks and just was like, well, you're going to have to get rid of the tanks. And so Ed was just like, well, I'm just going to pin it into oblivion so it can't do anything. <laughs> and then he failed the order checks and it reversed off the objective. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so Ed, Ed was just like, Ed had a couple of squads worth of infantry and was just like, I've only got really weak weapons, but, you know, if you're scared of them, great. And just ran the infantry <laughs> towards the objectives. Um, wow. That was a quite an interesting oh, wow. game. Uh, they en- ended up with a with a hard-fought draw, um, uh, but Mike won his other two games, um, so he finished he finished third in the overall standings. Um, I got a bit of a sweet spot for Mike. So when I first played my first event, which was Show 2018, um, pro- he was just one of the few that I'd talked online with prior, uh, and we both had very similar German lists, and we both took Panthers. And they both didn't work for the event. Um, and yeah, he's just just a great guy. And uh, as soon as I heard that he was, because he's he's actually from memory of of talking to him post that event, he's been like, I don't I don't want to use the Panther anymore, and I don't want to use the heavy tanks. I want to, you know. And and walking away from that event, um, I had took a Puma, a Panther, and then just all veteran assault rifles. So like basically the smallest group of troops you, you could have um that was purely monetarily i wanted to build a force on the cheapest budget which is just get all veteran stuff um but yeah no it was good to hear that like he he, he did what he wanted to and it, and it did well <laughs> yeah it did much better this time around uh, yeah and i mean it, it's so we had two tank platoons um <laughs> One on the Allied side, which was Ed's, and one on the Axis side, which was Mike's. Um, but we had several people take theater selectors, allowing multiple tank slots. Um, and so one of the things that came up out of the event um, from one of the players was like, it'd be really good to give some, I guess, overall summary of how to uh, how to react and play against an armored platoon. Um, because you do need to consider things a little bit differently to a regular bolt action game. Mm. Um, so uh, I played an armored platoon, um, and my kind of focus for the game was really trying to bait with the cars. I, I came to this real this realization that the game before that weekend that I could. And it, and it happened to be that I was demoing a guy who was brand new to the game, never played bolt action, and um, he did this hard deployment of three of my armored cars in in so so he used my force and and, and played another uh, club member, and he did this hard deployment of three armored cars. Not even sure if this was deliberate or not, but on, on one flank and and baited all of his stuff, and he's like, I can just run these away because they're so fast. I'm like. Oh. This is awesome. <laughs> this, is, 
this is how I need to play them. I, I shouldn't be I shouldn't be reacting and, and placing them in, you know, what would be cover and whatever else, because it is so easy to react to fire anyway. Just just bait them out. And and that that, that that's how I tried to play most of my games. Um uh, I don't know if it worked all that well or not, but um it seemed smart at the time. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, did you? I, I think the the all the forces I played were were pretty much the generic with an armored car and a tank. Um, and I'm I'm guessing yep. um, that's what the majority of people played. Um, so I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to cater to a heavy armored list, and um, I would have been probably at a disadvantage. to do so because most of like my heaviest gun was a medium anti-tank um uh, and i had a lot of light auto cannons so i i was actually talking a lot with ed prior i'm like what are you gonna do if you come up against mike and that happens <laughs> and 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 he was just basically like yeah i'm just gonna run circles around it and and, and pin and, and and not worry about it and that's kind of what he did um and and yeah, and that's exactly what he had to do as well. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I didn't really catch up too much with those that faced the 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 huge armored lists, and 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 you know, mine mine was a bit stranger in the sense that like mine are all open top vehicles that are killed on a seven, so it it seemed like that's capable with most lists that aren't really focusing on on anti-tank anyway yeah so i'd probably add that our the armored lists that were there um weren't abusive ones or, or what could be considered abusive ones out of things like the western desert selector with you know six stewards across a tank platoon um it wasn't anything like that um they were all fair um mm. yes a lot of armor but it came at other costs so you know mike's came at the cost of having literally no infantry for objectives and seven order dice and so he was yeah. outmaneuvered by virtually every player that he that he fought against um and so he had to work really hard to um to get anywhere or in the case of ed's list um his his entire list was an early war desert rat list um as an armored uh, an armored platoon so you know it, it didn't have a lot of uh really big guns for the punch um and and so you know he had to make up with the fact that oh that that is a panzer four that i have to deal with how do i do that with my list like you know already only two of my you know 12 units are actually going to be effective mm-hmm. um but I think generically as well, um, one of the benefits that the armor platoon generally has uh, is its mobility, its its ability to to redeploy some powerful guns very quickly, um, and they don't take a lot of penalties for doing that. Um, you know, you've got the movement penalty, but realistically, if they're moving around cover to ignore a cover modifier, they're actually still at plus one um, if they just stayed where they were they would have been at minus two plus range potentially if they you know move and go around the corner they're reducing that cover so one of the things as a defensive thing um you're trying to you don't want to just sit behind a wall 
because mm. um, a wall can be driven around. You you want to be you know, trying to bolster your units in as much cover as possible. Um, and, and I guess where possible, your anti-tank threats need to be spread across the board. And you should have more than one. Mm. Um, how did, sorry, Gorch, and I'm just trying to remember what you were saying on your last two games, just with the dealing with armor. So you had the Wesp in the last game, and then I guess Brad probably had a Stu 42. Yeah, he had a Stu yeah. 42. I was very lucky in um, both my games that uh, I basically hid from the enemy armor and forced them to move into a position where I could either take a side armor shot or encourage them to walk into an ambush. In, in neither of those cases did I actually score any real damage. Both cases, I ended up with, uh, I think the stew only had one, maybe two pins on it. The West had two pins on it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they were failing order tests or I was outmaneuvering them. So yeah. with something like armored, armored vehicles, it's, uh, I have a really hard time sort of reconciling like the strategy that I use to, to move against armor. But I hear what you're saying that they're really mobile, but somehow my main defense has been to outmaneuver the armor. And sometimes that'll be with a with another vehicle, and sometimes that'll be with just infantry. I'll I'll hide them behind chains of terrain or or I'll move them through a choke point that the tank can't follow or something like that. Um it's it's very much a game of getting the tank to follow the cheese. Um and then I will just ignore it and like let it do its thing. So I don't know if it's so much outmaneuvering now that I've said it out loud, but more so like sacrificial. I will put a unit that I want the tank to engage that that I'm trying to entice the player to fight that unit with its tank. And I tried to make it uh, a complete non-threat to the tank if possible. Mm -hmm. Um, I usually will try to threaten something else while showing a flank or exposing myself to the to, to the enemy armor at the same time. So they go, well, that's a really easy target, and then I can I can either then decide to deal with that armor or move away from it. Um, I I try to generally with bolt action. I try to do rock paper scissors as opposed to rock versus rock. A lot of people like having sniper jewels, mortar jewels, tank jewels, and all that, and infantry jewels and those things are all really fun, and I think they're 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 fantastic from like a, a romantic and a narrative perspective. But uh, I, I guess when I'm trying to be most effective with my units, I usually it doesn't end up being squad on squad, tank on tank, sniper on sniper, mortar on mortar. I I will usually shift my targets uh, as much as I can. Um, yeah, as I was saying, using a mortar to take out a sniper or, or an infantry squad in a trench position instead of using a sniper or something else like that. And I try to do the same thing against armor, but I would take all of that with an, a hefty amount of salt and a lot of skepticism because I've not come across against an armored platoon in a, in a competitive environment. So, I mean, I had that game against you on Tabletop Simulator, but I knew it was coming and I could sort yeah. of pick another list to to sort of play against that one. But I think the specific advice that people are looking for is what do you do if you're not expecting one um, mm, and you're not yeah. sort of kitted against one? And I, I yeah. don't 
I, I don't have the experience really to talk about that. Yeah. So I think um, in, in what you were touching on with, you know, you felt that you were able to reposition easily or, or use cover um, that, and, and we've said this before on, on the podcast, but one of the biggest mechanics um, is, is leveraging your dice advantage. And so if you, are, you know, if you've got a 12 dice list and you're going up against a seven dice list, you have five extra dice that you can do something with before feasibly before you're at equal 50 50 odds for your opponent to activate one of the tanks um, generally an armored platoon is going to have a little bit less dice if they're really ramping up the armor because it's expensive they still have to pay the points um, you know, it's still got to pay that that aspect to it um, definitely when you're building your list you need to look at what the event is allowing in its restrictions. Um, and if it's allowing tank platoons, just having two Panzerfaust or just having a single medium anti-tank gun may not be enough. Um, but when you're there in this situation, your list is already built and it's built to take on a more balanced all comers list, um, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, you need to be very, very clear about with your anti-tank units, where and when they need to engage and uh, incapacitate the opponent, opponent armor. And if you can't get a two-on-one ratio, which is the more preferred anti-tank ratio, um, you need to be as close as possible for your one-to-one -one ratio because you want that shot to hit. You cannot afford it to miss. Mm. And that's what I doubled down on against Nick. <laughs> didn't sort out for me. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, I just I'm just gonna go on about my list again and 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 where my thought process was on 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 combating vehicles. Um, in taking the yeah. three armored gonna... cars. Um, was... go ahead, Daniel. Sorry, sorry, Jacob. I was I was gonna say maybe from a um, as someone who took an armored list, what were the things that you would see that would have undone your list that, that would have um negatively impacted you yeah so uh, i was worried about armor because i took light vehicles um so what what's interesting for me is i've never actually take uh an anti-tank gun and in these three games i felt incredibly confident with the positioning of the guns and how they would allow particular lanes to work and in fact the guns fired every turn of every game they didn't do what they were meant to do <laughs> so it's like no um and i don't know if that's if, if if medium isn't isn't the option well maybe it was just the dice um uh i specifically wanted medium because i wanted to be able to move it without needing a toe um uh, and yeah, my thought process into the game was these armored cars with the light order are really going to be infantry support and usually a follow-up after an, an infantry attack on some infantry um, or, or the other way around leading it and then the infantry follow up behind them. Um, I did never, never really engaged um, them with the tanks because they're not particularly do very well anyway um and then again the panda three aside from nick's game i um really 
focus on its ability for anti-infantry. So I was, I was putting a lot of confidence into the medium anti-tank gun to be um, a deterrent. And I think it worked as a deterrent, to be honest, but it didn't net any kills or pins. Um, but it did deny points of the board and it did make the opponent double think and they did draw a lot of fire from everything. Um, so so it was very important for the um, enemy to, to try and knock that out, to give them free reign with their tanks. So their tank actually, actually in all of the games, stayed behind cover at range and these kind of things to, to survive. Um, so probably in hindsight did better than 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 what I thought in the games. Um, but yeah, my, my my focus was using the anti-tank gun to do everything and then the vehicles would just be fast moving infantry support and ignore whatever else potential that they could do. Um, and I was pretty happy with that. Um, but again, you know, uh, I, I only faced, you know, one one medium tank on on each game, so I, I wasn't all that fussed about doubling down. And when I did, that was the wrong move. It was better to 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 keep it as the as the infantry support vehicle that it should have been. Um, so yeah, I I don't know, like, cause there's a lot of talk on on Facebook in the lead up, particularly in Jackson's posts on the um importance of armor so that, that, that there's definitely two sort of mindsets where, where people like, oh, well, there's, I'd say there's three. Um, there's one where vehicles are overcosted, don't take them. And if you're facing them, ignore them altogether because the best they can take away an order dice that's not equivalent to the points that they're worth. Um, then there's the take light vehicles because they can um, really help the infantry and anti-infantry roles, which is where I was landing to do my stuff and learn how that worked. And then there's the others that are, you know, um, going heavy into to vehicles um, because they negate all of the small arms. Um, so I, I think everybody's got an opinion on that. And I don't think there's a right and wrong answer on any of that. Um, that there's some things to be said if you're taking like you know three tigers or something like that that maybe maybe that's not right but um you know uh i i don't think yeah i don't think like necessarily having a one heavy tank is a wrong decision to be honest um but yeah. uh yeah uh, i i still don't know where i land on dealing with armor and it's still like uh, there's definitely a psychological aspect to this is a dangerous weapon that you need to focus on, no matter the thought process that you're leading into that game thinking, oh, yeah, as, as everyone says, it, it can't do too much damage and, and what it could potentially, you know, uh, how effective is a heavy tank if, the, if at your best you've got a light? So what? It blows up a light, but it, you know, it's not doing its value for points. Um, so that that was another thought as well. It's like, you know, uh, how how many points do you put into a particular vehicle 
Um, and that, that's, that's where I was looking at doing lots of multiple light ones and just doing the, the anti-infantry stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's something that it is a decision process in this game that will dictate lists probably indefinitely for me. And it's going to, it's going to float. It's going to be ignore it, go all infantry. It's going to be, you know, go for the generic platoon with and, and, and include your medium, medium tank. That's about 230 points. Um, I don't think it's ever really going to go on the extreme end for me, but you know, I, I do like the look of a lot of the vehicles. Like I, I, I want to paint a tiger at some point. And so, you know, I don't know. Um, it's just something yeah, I'll experiment I'd... with for the, for the rest of the game's life, I guess. Yeah. And I think one of the benefits that we have um, is we have a lot of different event formats that will, I guess, cater towards that. Um, whether I, to be honest, uh, um, a lot of people uh, were quite surprised with John Beeson's uh, Panzer Grenadier, uh, Panzer 150th Brigade, but essentially the um, it's an army of infiltrating Germans um, that look like Americans. So this and, this is um, themed to the Battle of the Bulge, right? Yes, it's, yes, yeah, it's yeah. A, as when you open the and and I should clarify. No disrespect to John, um, you know, he actually, he asked, he said, hey, look, you're allowing theatre selectors. I'd love to run this one. Um, I know it's a little bit touchy. Some people don't like it because of what it does. It's not really that difficult to fight, but it can be a bit of a shock if you've not played it before. I looked over his list and I went, look, to be brutally honest, that, that fits within the restrictions of the event. Um, I'm going to say bring it. Um, so, and... You know, John still went one win and two draws. So it, it's it's not like his his list was so because of its um, theater selector capability. You know, it wasn't ridiculously powerful. Um, and he did help his opponents understand, you know, some of the ways to fight it. But he he did he only won his first game. Um, and, and so you know, while theater selectors can be Pandora's box. For some of the uh, different things that are out there, some of them are also uh, false lions. They're not. They're not real, uh, real threats. Um, whether it's an armor platoon, uh, sometimes they don't even make the list as a threat, um, but they can also be. I guess, theater selector wise, they can get quite nasty. So, if you've ever considered facing off against six Stuarts, um, that's about. I think it's 18 shots per vehicle. Um, and so you're looking at, you know, what, 70 something shots a turn at 36 inches. Yeah. Um, that, that has a tendency to feel a bit more unbalanced. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, we're, we're lucky in Perth. We've got a pretty good scene mm. and we don't see those sorts of things. So armor platoons, they're not actually that powerful in comparison to other options. Sometimes they just feel that they are because um, we self-regulate. Um, so uh, I don't know what the infiltrator rules for Panzer 150 are. Um, I'm assuming it's the ones where you're interrupting their reserves coming on 
and maybe they can't be shot until they're at some like within 12 inches or something like that um yeah the um the interruption with reserves um yeah is the same one that you're thinking of um and it, it essentially if you take certain unit types uh they are uh how well, i'll use the word protected from being shot for potentially a significant amount of the game um but we, we might dive into that later it's quite mm -hmm. a it's worth its own section to dive into yeah fantastic um okay so um we've, we've talked all about skulls for quite a while um i think we'll just uh just give a little bit of a um, shout out to Justin for um, working very hard on, on that event. Obviously, Dan doing everything on the ground on the day. Um, all the players who attended, um, all the fantastic terrain that was brought um, and, and all the really well-painted armies. In, in fact, I don't know, but I, I glanced up most tables i don't think i saw unpainted forces and i saw some really cool ones um uh i'm gonna it was, um yeah yeah gonna bring those up again Just while we're talking Japanese yeah amazing um, um yeah. so let me get the, um, when i was going through when i was going through the and, and and looking at all the different armies and stuff i think out of 24 players I think I saw three units that weren't painted. Uh, one of those was a proxy howitzer model, uh, which John Gill, uh, he knew it wasn't, he contacted me ahead of time. He had um, that particular model was coming from over east um, uh, uh, from, uh, you know, in a, in a battle ready state, so to speak. Um, just hadn't actually arrived in Perth. Um, I can give you a Soviet howitzer if you want. And he's like, but I'm, but I'm, no, that's not going to happen. Because um, <laughs> he was an active player. But, um, you know, and then I think uh, one of the other gents from Albany, I think they had a couple of models that, um, that weren't painted, but it, it wasn't because the whole force wasn't painted. It's simply because those models hadn't been got to yet. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's, if there's a sign of intent for, you know, people going through their hobby journey and actually getting stuff painted, um, I'm certainly going to let them continue going. But I tell you what, to see all those painted armies on the tables, that was really, really good. Um, and also a lot of um, community built tables as well. So, um, yeah, obviously well, we, had think, a, we had a um, lot of the RHG stuff. Then we had Gorchen's Yeah, gear. we had... John's we had as well. 13 tables, and I think I only put terrain of my own on two of them. Mm -hmm. Everything else that I brought was either OTP or um, or from someone else. So we had essentially we had 13 tables minus two. It's late. What is that? 11? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> um, so we had uh, we had 11 tables that were either high quality 3d printed or custom built by uh, lev one of the yeah. fantastic diorama modelers in perth or um or obviously rockingham historical um 
the boards that we were using from Nick that he's been putting together, which are also absolutely incredible. And his latest work that is coming is incredible. Um, yeah. But that was like, that was it. We had, yeah, we had 11 really yeah. good quality tables. Um, and John brought one as well. Unfortunately, I didn't get to play on it, but um, yep. is that one of the ones you played on, Gorchin? Was that the one you played with Brad? Was... No, I didn't I didn't get a chance to play on um, John's board. I think Brad won, Brad's one, the one we played, uh, the one I played against Brad on uh, was uh, OT, uh, no, sorry. I think it was Outpost 6030 terrain. Yeah, okay. Um, so I think it was like, it was club terrain that they assembled into a, into a game day yeah mm -hmm. but yeah i echo what you guys are saying it was just really fantastic to see everybody's armies out on display everybody had all these lovely custom built objective markers that were really thematic um and i think the amount of effort that went into all of them was was phenomenal it was really great to see not just execution but also just some really good ideas mm -hmm. um like the yeah. guy who took out the prize his objective marker was a crate of at 69 which Perfect. I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, a brilliant idea. Um, and it it, you know, we had... it, it certainly didn't make it easy for me to, um, you know, assess and pick a winner. I ended up with, yeah, I think it was five or six people on the same score that I had to then figure out <laughs> what to do. Uh, well, he really yeah. doubled down with the theme, and he made a great, great objective piece. But um, uh, again, like this was. We didn't have much lead time for this event, and people had painted up new armies and stuff. Everyone had, um, you know, and, and those who hadn't painted up a new army added a lot of extras to, to what they had, um, and then the objective yeah. pieces yeah. too. Um, so it was really cool um, to see a lot of that stuff um, and, and a lot of variety. Uh, no, no, nothing really looked too samey, even if it was the same kind of army and whatever else. Um, yeah, uh, great event. Can't wait for the next one. I'm sure we got quite a few um, mix events that we can do with with Outpost. Maybe maybe um, objective secured in the next coming months until the end of the year. Um, as for RHG. We got a lot of stuff August and September. Um, so mm -hmm. I brought this up right at the beginning. World War II month pretty much for us um, August. So this weekend it's 148 Tactic, um, which is very similar so to, to Bolt Action Firefight. Um, so we've got a lot of videos on that and, and what that game's about. So I'll have some stuff in the description to show you what it is. Long story short, you can you can use your bold action minis for it and you can download the rules for free. And it's probably about a half an hour to play, so why not give it a go? Um, then we'll go to Cruel Seas, which is Warlord Games' uh, naval combat for World War II. Um, and there's a lot of uh, cross games that you can do particularly i think it's in the expansion it's the one that's close combat i think it's called where um it tries to mix um blood red skies cruel seas and bolt action together um so we're going to yep. be doing a lot of that kind of stuff soon and then we jump into the main course uh bolt action so we have um firefight which is the following weekend, and we're hoping to get 
many of the players who uh, attended this event and, and otherwise succumbed to Firefight and tried out. Um, we did a whole episode on Firefight before COVID, episode two, so check that out for some info on list building in Firefight and the objectives and the missions. Then um, we've got Wings of Glory to... So um, that Firefight event um, on the 16th of August actually kicks off, finally, Operation Varsity. Uh, um, RHG. So yeah, finally, uh, talking about it since February. So the firefight event that's coming out, it's called Pathfinders. Um, expect it to be a more, uh, you're going to be around Robin style day. So same sort of thing as Skulls, except it's going to be firefight orientated. So the player, player's pack is up. Um, you guys can, can access that now. Uh, so it's going to be a 200 points. You're going to be playing about four games um, throughout the day. A couple of the missions are um, some homebrew ones. So I wrote one and, and one of Daniel's missions from writing party is coming back. So if you guys are itching for some more of the same for skulls, but you want to try a different list, you want a slightly different theme, definitely come check out Pathfinders. Uh, it's an open event. We want it there for everybody to come down. Uh, and then, yeah, after that, we're going to do uh, aggregate scoring for the missions um, for the purposes of the varsity campaign. So you'll still get your own individual scores and, and, and you'll come out with, with best player, et cetera. But we're going to use the mission results to determine some impacts that are going to happen for the rest of the, the varsity campaign. And the same thing again for Wings. Um, that one's going to be a more narrative style event. Again, it's going to be open. We'll be able to provide a lot of uh, planes and a lot of people to, to a lot of practice games, get them in, get them playing. Yeah, So the, and that's also going to have some impacts for the... Uh, the fortunate or unfortunate commanders who are going to be playing on the, they're actually going to be committing to the operation. Um, so that one, we've got the players locked in for, uh, that one's going to be halfway through September. Uh, that one's going to be a narrative style bolt action event. If you guys want to come down and spectate, it'd be really good to see everybody down there. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah. So Gorchin just mentioned wings. That's wings of glory. We've got videos on how to play that game um, for those who are interested in coming, please do. We can teach you within like a minute, if that. It's it's got it's got these movement cards that go in front of the plane and all that kind of stuff. It's just gonna make total sense. You you see it for a second, you're like, okay, I know what to do. Um, and we've got more than enough planes for players, so please come to that. And the reason we're emphasizing the air portion of the battle is because this is. Um, tell us about varsity very quickly. It's Airborne forces fighting Luftwaffe. Yeah, uh, it's it's the very last airborne drop in World War Two. Very late in the war, March '45. Uh, this is an actually um, a split amphibious airborne invasion into West Germany. Um, so, like Market Garden, except this one worked. Uh, it probably worked because the Germans were down to the last straw. You had Luftwaffe and Kriegsmarine pilots and stuff, and sailors acting as soldiers on the ground. So. It's, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Really looking forward to it. But I think, Dan, you've got something else that you're working on if players are after something a little bit more competitive. Yeah. So those of you that have seen on the Facebook group, um, I've been going on about this thing called Bolt Action League Play. So the, the intent here with League Play um, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about it in another episode. We're not going to take up too much more time here. Um, but the intent is that this will feed into seeded rankings for future events so that uh, it 
it speeds that element up, but also gives us a taste of, of uh, I guess, some more bragging rights above just simply the one event. Um, so it's about consistent performance of players and using that to set up events. But the offshoot of that is you absolutely will be able to start going, well, you know, uh, I'm ranked here at the moment and, you know, it is going to include casual games and event games uh, in some capacity. Um, but we'll talk more about that later. Um, there's a lot of mathematics that goes on behind the scenes to get it to this point. Um, but now that I'm not having to do all the TO stuff, because as we heard, you know, the club's doing stuff, Outpost is doing stuff, Obsec is doing stuff, um, you know, I can be freed up to do other fun things like the league play. No one better to do it. You are the king of working out all that scoring stuff. Um, I will <laughs> definitely help you if there's a way that we can automate it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this is really impressive and it's what we need. And um, a lot of people seem to be interested in it. The, 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 the feed about the, the initial feed about it is alive. Um, so um, super looking forward to it. Um, cool. So we've talked all about skulls, talking about the events we've got going on. We've got the league happening. Um, I think we're going to call it here. Uh, this is episode five of the Historical Miniature Gamers podcast. Thanks for checking in. Um, and uh, we'll be with you next time um, on more and more about bolt action and gaming in Perth. So catch you then. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Thanks, everyone.